Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host. It is Friday night. It is July the 15th, 2022. Goodness, time is flying. We're well into summer. I hope all of you are doing well, staying safe. Uh, But boy, oh boy, the hits just keep on coming. Um, Those of you who have been following the news, L.A. County District Attorney uh, Gascon, um, (laughs) incredibly, is no longer going to warn crime victims when their assailants may be getting paroled. I mean, imagine that, or being put on probation, that is to say. So you may well have people who have raped and robbed and assaulted, murdered people, who will be put back out on the street without warning their victims or the families of the victims. And somehow this is considered progress. Well. Here in New York, incredibly, the governor, in response to the Supreme Court ruling on the Second Amendment, has declared almost every place imaginable to be a gun-free zone so that even those of us who have carry permits will not be able to go probably anywhere. Buildings, houses of worship, you name it, the list is long and outrageous. Um, So rather than simply accepting the fact that the court ruled, the Supreme Court ruled in support of the Second Amendment, these politicians saw losers, perhaps a lot worse going on, are now going to find new ways to make it impossible for law-abiding citizens to carry firearms, even though the Supreme Court said that's what the Constitution provides. Now, what I really want to know is why do they want gun control? That's the question we should really be asking, don't you think? Why in the world do we want gun control? And the answer supposedly is they want to make us safe. How in the world are they making us safe if criminals are being released, law-abiding citizens are unable to defend themselves, the police have been handcuffed? In fact, I would argue that in many of these leftist cities, jurisdictions, the police should be given a special law enforcement. Okay, well, hopefully everyone can hear me. Boy, this is, I, I just got notified by one of my friends out there, Dave, that the program wasn't going out. Um, I, I hope that you can hear me now, Dave, and everybody else. Um, the point that I was trying to make, and I think what I may do is rerun this program or 
um, do another program in the next day or two on this particular topic of immigration fraud. Because what, what I'm trying to get people to understand is that it's the legal system that's as dangerous and as dysfunctional as is the Mexican border. Let me just see, is it working now? Okay. Well, I'm going to, I think what I'm probably going to do is continue on with the program. I hope you're still with me. Um, hopefully you're, you're getting this. And, um, but I, I, I will, uh, you know, make an effort to do another broadcast on this topic of immigration fraud and on the deportation of the father of this al-Qaeda terrorist because it's such an important story. Okay, good. So apparently I'm back on the air. Well, that's a relief. Someone tried to call into me, and I think it kind of knocked off my connection, but, but here we are. So, so just to recap, let me, let me go back over this. What I was talking about is how ICE issued a press release announcing the fact that they had deported a criminal alien or an illegal or an alien, rather, who had been naturalized but whose son was affiliated with uh, al-Qaeda. And this individual um, lied to get his visa application, obstructed justice, did everything he could to get that visa by committing fraud. Visa fraud and immigration fraud, in point of fact, was the topic of my very first congressional hearing way back on May 20th, 1997, because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States by men from the Middle East who gained the immigration system. It happened in January 93, the bombing of the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, who applied for political asylum. He bought into a courier van service that had a permit that allowed him to park in the parking lot of the CIA. Incredible. And now, by the way, we're giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. They're worried about car bombs, so there's barriers against car bombs and truck bombs, but we have no idea who's behind the wheel. Then we have this bombing at the Trade Center, January, I'm sorry, February, um, February of 93, again, one illegal alien rented the van, another illegal alien drove the van, they all committed immigration fraud, six dead, over a thousand injured, a half billion dollars in damages inflicted, and we didn't learn the lessons. And under the Clinton administration, um, second term, Bill Clinton created a program called Citizenship USA, where we naturalized over a million aliens, ran their applications through the system, so quickly that frequently they got citizenship before fingerprints came back. It turned out that thousands of these individuals had criminal histories and not only shouldn't have been given citizenship, but should have been deported. So when people say, well, it's about illegal immigration, no, it's not. It's about immigration, period, the legal side and the illegal side. And then, you know, we hear some folks on the conservative side saying, well, if at least these folks came here and worked, no, they're not supposed to be working because if they work, they're taking jobs that should go to Americans. 
they're destroying the wage structure for the middle class. And maybe if you're an employer and you're motivated by greed, you don't care. But if you destroy the middle class, you're destroying the heart and soul of America, and you're making it that much easier for the communists and the radical leftists to convince struggling Americans that the system isn't working. One of the biggest impediments to American success is the importation of an army of foreign workers at all levels, not just the illegal aliens, it's high-tech workers with visas. But those visas have also been issued to terrorists. And what's so astonishing to me, and I've worked on terrorism investigations, my very first fraud investigation, way back in 1976, caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We wound up preventing the bombing of an oil refinery. Immigration fraud is that big a deal. And you have Mayorkas saying, you know what, we're not going to do anything to go after people who commit immigration fraud. And, and that is astonishing beyond words. In fact, back on June 15, 2018, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine about what the Trump administration had done. And what the Trump administration did was to open an office to find naturalization fraudsters. Now, I don't know if the individual to whom I'm referencing this evening, uh, who was deported, was identified by that office or if it was just a matter of the process going the way it should because this guy was originally uh, prosecuted before Trump came in. But, but let me reread the ICE press release. I don't believe this went out before, so we'll try again. The title was ICE Removes Non-Citizen. The word should be alien, but non-citizen I think is factually better than um, immigrant, which sounds as though they're here legally. ICE removes, that is to say, deports a non-citizen associated with terrorists. And the article goes on, or the ICE press release goes on, and says Denver, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE Enforcement and Removal Operations Field Office, Denver Field Office, removed a non-citizen associated with known terrorists in the United States on June 13th to Afghanistan via commercial air flights. Mohammed Wali Zazi, 66, was convicted of visa fraud Obstruction of Justice and Conspiracy to Obstruct Justice, February 2012. Zazi entered the United States August 8, 1990, and became a naturalized citizen on October the 23rd, 2007. The U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of New York convicted Zazi for conspiracy to obstruct justice, obstruction of justice, and visa fraud on February 10, 2012. He was sentenced to 54 months in federal prison. So this brings us back to this notion that immigration law violations are just administrative violations like jaywalking, and that's a lot of nonsense. There are two sides to immigration enforcement. There's an administrative side, and the goal administratively is to deport aliens who shouldn't be here, strip them of their lawful status. That's the administrative side. But there's a criminal side, no different from robbing banks or running guns or committing rape and mayhem. And in those cases, you wind up going to jail and paying a fine. In this case, you went to jail for 54 months. This is a felony. It's not an administrative violation. These are the lies being spouted by the people that want open borders and no immigration law enforcement. Lie after lie after lie, and it has to stop. And in fact, just the other day, I was listening to Fox, and somebody on the program made the point, oh, these poor people coming across the border. My gosh, they live in poverty. We've got to help them out. No, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. I'm sorry. We do not provide economic asylum. Now, we could feel bad for people, but if we were compelled to give people asylum for living in poverty, then probably well over half the world's 7 billion 
would be entitled to come to America and stay. Could we deal with six, with, with four billion or three billion people? If that's what they're saying, political asylum is a very specific situation. Political asylum means that because of your race, religion, ethnicity, tribal affiliation, sexual preferences, political beliefs, you face persecution or worse in your home country. That's what political asylum is. And most of the people coming across the border yelling asylum, 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 do not qualify it and won't qualify. But what they're doing is jamming up the entire system that's supposed to screen people seeking asylum. And if you look at what the 9-11 Commission warned about, it's people applying for asylum who gamed the system to stay here and among them are terrorists. That's the point. So the press release says on October 23, 2007, he became a naturalized citizen. And then on February 10, 2012, he was sentenced to 54 months in federal prison. Zazi's naturalization was revoked November 30, 2018, by the U.S. Magistrate Judge in the United States District Court for the District of Colorado, and his certificate of naturalization was canceled. He was issued a notice to appear July 30, 2019, in Centennial, Colorado. The immigration judge in Denver denied any relief to Zazi and ordered him removed to Afghanistan February 4, 2022. And then it goes on. He was removed to, to uh, Zazi. Uh, Zazi, rather, was removed from the United States to uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, via Hamid Karzai International Airport. Okay. And then it says, and this is why this whole thing came to light, Zazi's son, Najibullah Zazi, is a member of al-Qaeda and was convicted of conspiring to bomb the New York City subways in 2009. So the idea that people commit immigration fraud is no big deal. And you have Alejandro Mayorkas saying, we're not going to do anything to people. Uh, It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Um, The DOJ issued a press release, and this was per Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security. Santa Ana, California, an immigration service officer with Citizenship and Immigration Services. Well, I'm sorry, this is another case of, of another one Um, an immigration official from Nigeria working for the U.S. government, think about this one, as an immigration officer, was charged with illegally obtaining his citizenship. So we're giving people citizenship, putting them in sensitive jobs, in this case an immigration agent. Think about that. And yet you have the head of Homeland Security saying we won't take actions. You have to wonder if Mayorkas made the point of not going after these people because it's an embarrassment to them that someone who worked for Homeland Security was an alien who lied on his applications for citizenship, and that's how he became an American citizen. And that's how he became a government official. There's no integrity to the system. So let me read this to you. Um, On October 13, 2021, the Washington Times reported exclusive. DHS drafts plan to allow fraudsters to keep citizenship. Were they thinking about their employee when they issued that, that, that draft? And, and here's how the report begins. The Homeland Security Department is circulating a draft proposal that would severely curtail its attempt to strip citizenship from people who were naturalized based on fraud. By the way, 
you know that when our guys raided the bin Laden compound, they not only found a copy of the 9-11 Commission report, but an application for U.S. citizenship. I can give you a list of people who became U.S. citizens who were affiliated with al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorist groups. They were instructed to become American citizens so they can get a U.S. passport, and then with the U.S. passport alternating with their original passport, they're able to travel around the world and cover their tracks. And, in fact, when you naturalize, you can take a new name. Your U.S. passport only reflects your new name. So we're allowing potential terrorists and criminals to create their own witness protection program. And I will tell you that I raised this issue at at least one hearing where I testified, and nothing, to my knowledge, has been done to address this gaping hole in the system that not only threatens our national security, but the national security of other countries around the world. So anyway, the report says this. The Homeland Security Department is circulating a draft proposal that would severely curtail its attempts to strip citizenship from people who were naturalized based on fraud. The Washington Times saw a draft of the memo from Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to the heads of three immigration agencies. The memo says people might not apply for citizenship because they worry about losing it in the future. Quote, naturalized citizens deserve finality and security and their rights as citizens, the memo says. Department policy should not cause a chilling effect or barriers to lawful permanent residents seeking to naturalize. Wow. The only pe- people that would be chilled or discouraged are people that are lying about their identities, about affiliations with criminal or terrorist organizations. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about someone making mistakes and, and, and saying they lived in a building uh, you know, one door down because they, they put the wrong number of the building number. No, we're talking about material facts, material facts. Affiliation with a terrorist organization is a material fact. A criminal history is a material fact. Lying about your name is a material fact. That's what we're talking about. But our friend Alejandro Mayorkas is saying, oh, this might cause people to be afraid to apply. We don't want that to happen. In fact, when he was the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services for the Obama administration, he ordered the adjudicators to get to, yes, approve everything or else. And if you didn't, you got into trouble. You might have been suspended. You might have been demoted. Even when the FBI went to Mayorkas and said, you have visa applications from a company that's affiliated with a potential Iranian terrorist groups, you must deny these petitions, he approved them. The Inspector General, the the Internal Affairs Office of Inspector General, found malfeasance. They found that the complaints filed by people who worked under Mayorkas was justified, that he acted in violation of law, and that what he did was wrong. And when the Republicans raised the issue during his confirmation hearings, the Democrats said, and Biden said, okay, we don't care. So that's how this guy has become the head of Homeland Security, even though he is now promulgating policies that immigration fraud will be ignored, will be ignored. I want to read, um, I want to continue reading that one paragraph that I started. Um, So let me go back and just read it from the top, because that's probably the easiest way of doing it. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans have come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. And that was where I, where I went off on my 
Tear, we have all these people applying for asylum, and they know they won't qualify, and they don't show up. There's no reason to show up, because once they're here, they disappear. There's no one looking for them. It's a game of hide-and-seek, and we have no one to seek, and this administration doesn't want to find them. And in fact, this paragraph goes on and says, we're applying for asylum after entering. Okay? In many cases, this is what the 9-11 Commission staff had to say. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists, terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And meanwhile, the focus of the administration is on white supremacists. So let me be clear. Anybody in our country who believes that the solution to any political grievance, any grievance that they have is violence, needs to be dealt with. I don't care... If, they, if they're extreme left, extreme right, I, I don't care. If they're purple or green or have yellow polka dots. If you are an advocate, if you are out there seeking or encouraging people to commit acts of violence because you're unhappy, then you need to face justice for that. I wouldn't limit it to one side or the other, but that seems to be the focus of this administration. White extremists, white supremacists. Anybody who wants to use violence, and then you look at people like Maxine Waters telling people, go out there, get in their faces when Trump was the president. Get in their faces. Make it clear they're not welcome. You have people demonstrating outside Supreme Court justices' homes, which is illegal. You have a guy on trial or will be on trial for planning the assassination of a Supreme Court judge. And Joe Biden says, oh, First Amendment, they have the right to protest. They have the right to disagree. You don't have the right to violate the law and protest outside of judges' homes. But the, the whole notion of inciting violence and inciting confrontation has taken this country down a very ugly and dangerous path. I was going to teach debate on the college level. Debate is intellectual capitalism. The debaters bring to the table their view of what they think the solution to a problem is, and they're opposed by somebody who has a different solution. That's why they always say two heads work better than one. When more people get involved and provide different perspectives and different ideas, very often we come to better conclusions because we take other viewpoints into account. I've never seen America as it is now. And what upsets me, and this started a while back, several years ago, because it used to be that if a company entered an industry, they would say that they were a game changer, that they were revolutionary, you know, whatever. Then the word disruptive started to become the big deal. And they still use it, disruptive. Listen, when I went to school, if a child in the classroom was accused of being disruptive, their parents weren't happy when they got a phone call. But they started with this term disruptive. And now what's being disrupted? Everything. Our society is being disrupted. Our society is being disrupted. And we're being told that, um, you know, this is the way you must see things. And if you don't see things that way, then, then there's a problem. America's never been that way. 
we've always been willing to accept different ideas because with variety of ideas, very often comes new solutions that we never would have imagined. Now, when we're told, follow the science, my goodness, science isn't monolithic. There isn't some big book on a shelf somewhere, and you pick it up, and there's all the answers. Um, Sir Isaac Newton, I I think a while back I I misquoted the statement and attributed it to Albert Einstein, but apparently it was Newton who said that he considered himself to be sort of like a child playing at water's edge, picking up an occasional pebble or shell while the vast ocean of knowledge lay before him yet undiscovered. So as we try to find solutions and answers, we do it by asking questions and doing experiments that it's important that people with different perspectives enter that competition because there's not, what do they say? There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to get to your destination. That's why we used to listen to traffic reports. Now with GPS, they tell us which roads to avoid generally, but I still sometimes tune into the traffic report. Why? Because you may find out that the road you plan to take is blocked with an accident or, or whatever, or traffic is heavy. So you find a different way of getting there. That's what debate is supposed to be about. That's what education was supposed to be about. But now it's their way or the highway. We're told this is how you must believe, and if you disagree, well, we're going to cancel you. That's not how America operates. That's not how Americans should operate. And you have people divided. You watch this program or that program. Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Really? And part of the problem, and and I think you will remember if if you're old enough, there was a time when you never heard about how much money was amassed for a campaign to run for office. Now, suddenly, it's almost like a box score, right? You you turn on the the TV, and they tell you what what the Yankees scored last night, and they'll tell you what, what, you know, candidate so-and-so has acquired in the way of campaign funding because he is a serious candidate or she is a a serious candidate. They're bragging about bribes. They're bragging about money. This was never supposed to be that way. The founding fathers must be pinwheeling in their graves. So you've got an administration that blatantly ignores the law, blatantly ignores the 9-11 Commission, has taken measures that have made us incredibly vulnerable. It keeps me awake at night. It really does. How does anyone justify acting in direct opposition to the 9-11 Commission findings? Because that's what the Biden administration is doing. I remember after 9-11, all the politicians standing in front of the cameras, hounding the podium. What do they want to know? Why did no one connect the dots? How in the world did this happen? Why weren't we paying attention? Well, we paid attention. I'm one of, I don't know how many, probably a couple thousand people who provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I've testified before numerous hearings in the House and Senate, trying to explain what the vulnerabilities were that we desperately need to address. You would think that that would be priority one, safety first, right? Safety first. So we have millions of people in the country. We have no idea who they are. They've been dispersed across America by the Biden administration, often the dead of night, to not anger the American people or to try to keep the American people in the dark. I call it the mushroom treatment. Actually, I don't call it that, but in government we call it that. The mushroom treatment is where you keep people in the dark and feed them a lot of fertilizer, the mushroom treatment. Moving illegal aliens around the country, 
you know, the administration and the president has prosecutorial discretion. Okay, I've, I've discussed it before. It's worth noting again. Prosecutorial discretion is the cop who doesn't stop someone from going 10 miles over the speed limit because that person is going with the flow of traffic. The roads are wide open. The car he's driving appears to be in good shape. And the motorist isn't tailgating or doing anything crazy. And the cop says, well, 10 miles an hour on this open road, this isn't dangerous. But if I pull that person over, some guy going 90 is going to zip by me, and that person is dangerous. So the cop makes the decision, or maybe his superiors told him, don't bother with people unless they're going 10 miles over or 15 miles, whatever, because there's limited resources, and we need to use the limited resources wisely to maximize the benefits. And that makes sense. But no one would ever say to a cop, hey, if a guy is speeding, take him to lunch. I mean, really? If a guy is speeding, buy him a Corvette so he can drive even faster. That's not prosecutorial discretion. That's prosecutorial deception on the part first of Obama and now Biden, the third term for Mr. Obama. This is Biden. This is Obama on steroids. The president took an oath to defend the Constitution. Article 4, Section 4 says that the states are to be provided with a Republican form of government and protection against invasion of domestic violence. When I saw a website the other day that said that if you refer to the southern border as an invasion, you're a hater. This is hate speech. Really? Well, what do you call it when millions of people come across the border with no right to be here? That constitutes an invasion. Look it up in your dictionary before they change the wording in this era of George Orwell. And the president is considered the executive. Why? It comes from the word execute. He's supposed to execute the laws. Not the laws he agrees with. This isn't the menu in the restaurant. When I took my oath as an agent, it didn't say, I will defend the Constitution and those provisions I agree with. I will support the laws and those. No. You, go, you sign on for the full deal. This isn't like you go to a restaurant and the waiter comes up or the waitress comes up and says, would you like soup or salad? And you say, hmm, what's the soup? Matzo ball? Yeah, I'll have matzo ball soup. I'm not going to have salad. I'll have soup. That's not how the laws are enforced. You sign on to enforce all the laws. And even if some of the laws don't make sense to you, even if you personally might disagree with laws, and we do, we're people, we, we have different views, we took an oath. And why did we take an oath? Because the idea is when you take that oath, you're agreeing that no matter your personal feelings, you're going to enforce the laws as they're written, because that's what happens in a democratic republic. Laws are enacted, and law enforcement officers enforce the laws objectively and dispassionately. If you can't live up to that standard, that's fine. Then don't become a law enforcement officer. Don't become a president. Don't become a governor. Don't become a member of Congress. These are the rules of the game. And if you don't like the rules or you don't want to play the game, that's fine. No one's telling you to play the game. Find another way to make a living. But for the President of the United States and for his officials to blatantly in opposition to laws that are on the books, act in opposition to the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission is outrageous beyond words. And the courts have pretty much had it with this nonsense also. We elect people with the hope that they will act in the best interest of America and Americans. 
And I'd love for someone to tell me how what this administration is doing is in the best interest of the average American or in the best interest of America, to take down our borders that are our first and last line of defense. There's nothing racist or xenophobic about it. To expect people to go through a port of entry and Pelosi running around saying, oh, my God, the border wall is a wall of hate. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The border wall was never designed to keep anybody out. It just to funnel everyone through ports of entry. And, and you have experience with that. You do. You ever go to the movies? You buy a ticket, and you, and you go to, to, through the main entrance. You go to a ball game, you go through the gates. You buy a ticket, maybe you go through a metal detector. You go to the airport. Same deal. You don't just wander across the tarmac and jump on an airplane. There's a procedure so that we keep bad guys off airplanes and we don't have more people getting on the plane than the plane can take. That's why it's an orderly process. That's why they give you tickets. That's what the visas are about. It's supposed to be an orderly process where we screen people. And if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it tells you who we're supposed to keep out. Nothing about race or religion, none of that. Aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases, think about COVID. Aliens who are severely mentally ill, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and human rights violators and fugitives from justice and human traffickers and drug smugglers and war criminals. And then we get to aliens who would become a public charge or if they work would displace Americans and or drive down wages for Americans who are similarly employed. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? And that's why we have the vetting process, so we know who's coming in. The 9-11 Commission was crystal clear about the need for us to know who's here. So anybody who didn't want a border rule really was saying they want chaos on the border. They want the drugs flowing freely into America. They want the criminals. And by the way, isn't it remarkable that you've never seen any commercials warning people about drugs and and meth and, and fentanyl? Cigarette commercials were very effective. Because too many people are making literally billions of dollars off the drug trade. Billions, maybe more. And how many people are dying? How many people involved in mass shootings are psychotic? How many of them have been using drugs and perhaps it did damage to their brain? Why is no one asking that question? Why is it that in an era where we've never had more restrictions on possession and purchase of firearms, we have more mass shootings than ever before in the history of our country. How is that? Why is no one asking that question? We keep hearing about mass shootings, but why? Why is this happening? Is it the violent movies? Is it violent video games that basically serve as simulators for mass casualty events? Is it perhaps because people have been using drugs and the drugs have affected their brains adversely? All this crap that people take have an impact on their brains, have an impact on their emotions. Why is no one talking about that? Broken families, gangs, all of these are elements that nobody wants to discuss. All we're told is let's get the guns off the street. How about getting the criminals off the street? Because the same people that are the most insistent on getting guns off the street are the most insistent on putting criminals back on the street. Those two things don't go together, okay? That doesn't work. If you're really concerned about public safety, and I'd like to believe that every official is, but they're not, obviously, 
then you ought to be saying, wait a minute, those guns aren't shooting people of their own volition. Someone has to pull the trigger. We need to make certain that we address the issue of why more people are pulling that trigger. You can't make guns disappear by outlawing them the way you can't make drugs disappear. The laws of nature are immutable. You can't make gravity disappear by passing a law. Imagine if you could do that. Imagine if Congress passed a law that outlawed gravity at Cape Canaveral so we wouldn't need rockets to lift our astronauts and spacecraft into space. Imagine if they wrote a law that says we will suspend gravity between the hours of, you know, 10 a.m. and and 3 p.m. on such and such day, and, and, and then spacecraft would just float serenely above the atmosphere. Wow, it doesn't work that way. You can't pass a law to make guns disappear. You can make guns illegal or possession of the guns illegal or the manufacture of certain guns illegal, but that doesn't mean they're going to disappear. Criminals will always find a way to get their hands on guns and all sorts of contraband and illegal materials. So what you really need to be doing is going after the criminals, going after the people who are not law-abiding. Law-abiding citizens, by definition, aren't going to carry those guns. You have Hochul saying that now we're going to create almost an entire gun-free zone in New York State so even people who have carry permits won't be able to carry, can't go near a playground, can't go into a house of worship, can't go into a building. Well, where can you go? Nowhere. That's the whole point. Never mind the Supreme Court said, that law-abiding citizens have the right to carry a firearm. It's in the Second Amendment. There it is. Case closed. No, no, no. It's not good enough. So now we're going to find ways to manipulate the system to take guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens. And you know who benefits the most from this? Criminals. Because now they know that the likelihood that they will be confronted by a good guy with a gun has been greatly diminished. Wow. I guess that Hochul and these others are looking to curry the votes of felons. And that's why they want criminals to be able to vote. That's their constituency, perhaps birds of a feather, you know? Any sense? The 9-11 Commission said, look, we've got to be careful not to let terrorists in. If an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, keeping terrorists out, as Lou Barletta said when he quoted me one day during a hearing, uh, then that's a ton of, 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 of prevention. You know, a pound of uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's, that's a ton of cure, that prevention. Keeping out the people in the first place who would kill us. If they couldn't get in, they couldn't have hurt us. Shouldn't we be careful that we don't let people in who want to kill us? Isn't that why when we have kids, we're reluctant to let them open the door until they get old enough to show some good judgments? So we tell them, listen, if anyone knocks on the door while I'm at the store, don't open the door. I'll deal with it when I come home. Why? Because we're worried they might let someone in that poses a threat. But this administration seems literally hell-bent on permitting anyone into the country, including terrorists, drug dealers, gangbangers, drugs. Someone needs to make them accountable. That job is the job of the American people. Because, as I always like to point out, democracy is not a spectator sport. I'm sorry for the difficulties with the program. I'm going to try to rerun the elements of this show uh, in the next couple of days, or perhaps I'll just do it next week. But I hope the materials I've given you are thought-provoking. Please share it with your friends and neighbors. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody. <laughs>